Hello everyone and welcome to another online service. My name is Roger and I'm on the staff team here at Chichester Baptist Church. Last week we concluded a mini-series looking at the uh, Gospel of John and some of the encounters that people had with Jesus recorded in that Gospel. Next week we're going to be taking a look at some of the opening chapters of the Book of Acts. But this week I want to explore a theme that uh, appears that unites those two books uh, and in a sense forms a bridge between them. Earlier this year I read a book by Yuval Noah Harari called Homo Deus. It's a sequel to his hugely popular book Sapiens. And in Homo Deus he writes these words. To the best of our scientific understanding, the universe is a blind and purposeless process, full of sound and fury, but signifying nothing. During our infinitesimally brief stay on our tiny speck of a planet, we fret and strut this way and that, and then are heard of no more. Now, if there is no God and life is the product of blind chance, then the author is absolutely right. The universe is a blind and purposeless process, full of sound and fury, but signifying nothing. You are a meaningless cluster of atoms on a meaningless speck of a planet, and your life has no purpose. I bet you're feeling great now. But what if? What if there is a God? What if there is a purpose? The disciples' words and actions as recorded for us in the book of Acts reveal a strong sense of purpose. And Jesus' words and actions as recorded for us in the Gospel of John also describe a strong sense of purpose. And that sense of purpose can be summed up in one simple four-letter word. It's the word OUR. So come with me now as I take a walk around Fishbourne and Bosom and explore some of Jesus' references to the OUR. Right at the start of Jesus' ministry, uh, he and his disciples are invited to a wedding and Mary comes to him at some point during the wedding and says to him, they've got no more wine. Except it can't just have been a statement of fact, whether it was the, the pause that followed or the raised eyebrows, for whatever reason, Jesus knew that she wasn't just making a factual statement. And he said, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus is telling his mother that his life's work has not properly begun yet and he's questioning her understanding of his priorities. When Gabriel spoke to Mary at the uh, start, he said to her that sh the son to be born would be the son of the Most High, that he would reign over the house of Jacob, that he would be in the line of David. And she was asking about a wine shortage? Did she really understand his priorities and his purpose? Because Jesus' purpose shaped his priorities. And then Jesus' priorities shaped his choices. In John chapter 13 we read that it was just before the Passover and Jesus knew that the hour had come 
for him to leave the world and go to his father. And it says that having loved his own, he loved them to the end. What does it mean by that? Well, ultimately, it meant, it referred to his sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection. But the feet washing that takes place in John chapter 13 points forward to that event. There are all sorts of ways in which Jesus might have spent those last few precious hours with his disciples. But he chose to spend some of that time washing his disciples' feet. Why did he do that? Because he wanted them to know that they were deeply loved. Jesus' purpose shaped his priorities and Jesus' priorities shaped his choices. Then in John chapter 12, Jesus prays, Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So fulfilling his purpose didn't guarantee Jesus a lifetime of peace and tranquility. On the contrary, it brought necessary suffering and pain. In the other Gospels we find Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he asked his father if there could possibly be a plan B. But Jesus knows there can't be a plan B, there can only be plan A and he willingly submitted to plan A, his death on a cross. It's just as he said to his disciples or the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things? Jesus' purpose required his suffering. Also in John 12, in the run-up to the Passover, we read that some Greeks approached Jesus' disciples because they wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus interprets this as a sign that his death is imminent. The hour has come, he says, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now we may think of the Easter events primarily in terms of shame, but it wasn't just shame, it was also glory for Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame. And because Jesus was willing to die on our behalf, as Paul writes to the Philippians, God exalted him to the highest place that at the name of Jesus every knee may bow. So Jesus' obedience leading to his death and then leading to his resurrection ultimately led to his glory. Jesus' purpose led to his glory. So let's just recap for a moment. Maybe you are a meaningless cluster of atoms on a meaningless speck of a planet. But what if? What if there is a God? What if my life does have meaning? So if I look at the Gospel of John and the references to the hour or his hour or my hour, then a picture emerges. Jesus was conscious of his purpose. His purpose shaped his priorities and his priorities shaped his choices. 
his purpose inevitably led to his suffering and his suffering ultimately led to his glory. So what meaning does my life have? What purpose does my life have? And what meaning and purpose does your life have? At this point someone might be thinking, uh, subconsciously at least, I don't really care about all this, I just want to enjoy life and maybe look after the people that I love. But if you went round to someone's house and you found a beautiful painting being used as a doorstop, wouldn't you wonder about it? Or if they had on their computer uh, an image of a sunset, but that's all they were using their computer for, they weren't using it for communication or doing work or anything like that. Wouldn't you be thinking to yourself in those two cases, what a waste, that beautiful painting should be on the wall for everyone to appreciate. That computer should be, could be used for communication, could be used for writing documents, sending emails, could be used for all sorts of things. What a waste. Do you really want to reach the end of your life with the crushing realisation that your life has been wasted? When someone asked Einstein what question he would ask God, he initially said, how did the universe start? Because everything after that is just maths. But after thinking for a while, he changed his mind and he said this, instead I would ask, why was the universe created? Because then I would know the meaning of my own life. Now, to make themselves feel better, some people create meaning for their lives. They say, my life can mean whatever I want it to mean. If I want my life to be about propping open a door, then that's entirely up to me. But is there nothing outside of ourselves that gives our life meaning? An emphatic yes. What is the answer to Einstein's question? It's that God created humankind for a relationship with himself and the universe for our mutual enjoyment and care. That glorious purpose was thwarted to some extent when we chose our way instead of God's way. But when Jesus came, he came to restore our relationship with God for all those who choose to put their trust in him and ultimately one day to restore creation itself. At its simplest this is our purpose, a relationship with God in the beautiful world he has made and ultimately in the even more beautiful world he will remake. If that's true then certain things will follow. For starters, our purpose will shape our priorities and choices, just as they did for Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews uses the metaphor of a race, an activity with a clear, unambiguous purpose, and he writes these words. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Those words suggest a single-minded pursuit of purpose and a throwing off of anything that would hinder it.
we are to throw off entangling sin or wrong choices because sin erects a barrier between us and God and spoils our relationship with him. We are to throw off everything that hinders or wrong priorities, things that may be good in themselves but which get in, way of, get in the way of the best, of us achieving our purpose of uh, growing in our relationship with God. I just love the story of the magazine journalist who got back from a two-week holiday and uh, opened up his emails. He had 700 emails and he thought, I don't like this. This is going to get in the way of what I'm really paid to do. So he took the very brave decision and he hit delete all. All 700 emails completely wiped off. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily the thing that you ought to do when you come back from two weeks on holiday, if indeed you do go away on holiday from work. But I tell you this, what it does demonstrate beyond any shadow of a doubt is that that man knew what his priorities were. He wanted to clear away the little stuff so he could focus on the things that mattered most. What things might we be doing? Good things perhaps, but things which are getting in the way of our priority, our purpose of growing in our relationship with God. You know, Jesus wasn't afraid to walk away from the clamouring demands on his time in order to focus on what was most important. And I think that's an example that we need to consider for ourselves. As well as thinking about priorities and choices, when we think about Jesus, we're forced too to think about suffering and glory. Jesus didn't lead an easy life, did he? So we shouldn't expect to live lives that are trouble-free. If Jesus followed his purpose and had a life full of difficulty, at least in the last three years of his life, then it shouldn't come as any surprise to us that we have difficulties in our lives too. Jesus' purpose required his suffering. In words that make me feel very uncomfortable, Paul wrote to Timothy and said that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus can expect to be persecuted. So can we really expect to be exempt from any kind of trouble? It was because Jesus pursued God's purpose for his life that he suffered. But as a result of his suffering, he was glorified. Jesus' purpose led to his glory. And if we follow God's purpose for our lives, then that will lead to God's glory too. Our relationship with God and his glory are inextricably linked. Just listen to these words from Ephesians. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Did you catch that? We are brought into God's family for the praise of his glorious grace. So by pursuing our purpose, the relationship 
with God for which we have been chosen, we bring him glory. So let me summarise as I conclude. Jesus led a life with a purpose, a life that led up to the hour, the time of his crucifixion, resurrection and ascension. And because of what Jesus accomplished for us, we too are able to enjoy life with a purpose as we enter into and grow into a relationship with God. It follows that, as for Jesus, understanding our purpose will shape our priorities and our choices. It may lead to suffering and it will lead to God's glory. Now I know what you're thinking, I'm not doing a very good marketing job here am I? I'm not making it very appealing. But then Jesus didn't make it very appealing either. In Matthew chapter 16 we read that he said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It might not be on the surface very appealing, but what I would say is this. In his book Questions of Life, uh, Nicky Gumbel, the author of the Alpha Course, says this, men and women were created to live in a relationship with God. Without that relationship there will always be a hunger, an emptiness, a feeling that something is missing. We can fill our lives with all sorts of things, but unless they contribute to our purpose, walking in relationship with God, then all of our activity is going to leave us feeling hungry and empty. So what will we choose? A life full of sound and fury, but signifying nothing? A life in which we choose our own meaning and purpose, but which ultimately may prove to be wasted? Or a life that follows the purpose for which we were designed? A life in relationship with God? It's a big choice. I hope you make a wise one.